0: I like American reviewers. They do read the book. This is Pints with Jack, Season 5, Episode 69, America Discovers C.S. Lewis, After Hours with Dr. Alan Snyder. Well, good morning everyone, or good evening, or good afternoon, whenever you're listening. Pints with Jack, of course, is your weekly C.S. Lewis podcast, where David, Matt, and myself break down and discuss the works of C.S. Lewis. And today, we are chatting with Dr. Alan Snyder. Dr. Snyder is Professor of History at Southeastern University in Lakeland, Florida, which is just about an hour away from where I live right now. He's author, also authored four other books and maintains a daily online commentary called Pondering Principles, Reflections on God, Man, and Life found at ponderingprinciples.com, and we'll have a link to that in the show notes. He's also a great guy. We've been to Oxford together, although I don't know that we met while we were
1: in Oxford together. I have to admit, I wasn't in Oxford.
0: Oh, okay.
1: I met you at Camp Allen in Texas. That's right. What year was that? About 2018 or so. Okay.
0: All right. So the most recent one, uh, except for this, just just, so when Patty Callahan and- um, Right before pandemic, right?
1: Uh, it was before a pandemic. It might have been actually a couple of years before that. Sorry. Okay. okay. I'm getting All right. ahead of myself. All right. No, no worries. So, well, it's lovely to have you on your
0: sh- on the show and uh, just looking forward to uh, to chatting some about your book. And uh, what are you drinking today?
1: Uh, today, I have some tea, which is nice and sweetened. I like, you know, you have to have it sweet a little bit. Okay. Absolutely. And it's in a C.S. Lewis mug. I mean, how can you do otherwise? Okay. Yeah, if you put it close to the microphone,
0: listeners can see the mug. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what kind of tea are you drinking? I'm sure David
1: would ask. Uh, well, I'm sorry, it's not what you would call the uh, top of the notch. I just went to Publix and got some tea. You know, that's yeah, uh, anything from Publix is. Uh, <laughs> I think
0: they've got a they've got a uh, the parking space with our name on it. Okay. We've been so often <laughs> since we moved back to Florida. Wonderful. Uh, did Walter ever tell you about Jack and tea,
1: and how sweet he likes it? Uh, not about how Sweetie likes it, no. But uh, I know you read his thing about how he sat down and had tea after tea after tea, and, and then asked for the for the bathroom. You know? <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's part of the
0: tour. Actually, we did a uh, we did a kiln tour for our our Patreon supporters a few years ago, or a few months ago, and uh, that was part of that great story. Yeah, Walter once. Um, Served me tea at his house, I'm sure. that uh, have, you, have you visited him in his house? Uh,
1: no, I uh, met him at the kilns. Uh, okay. I, in, in 2017, I and another professor took students, college students, over to England, and we went to the kilns as one of our stopping places. Okay. I actually had contacted Walter ahead of time, and I said, can you please meet us there and talk to us? And he was very gracious. Uh, he came over, and uh, we had a good time talking with him. It's the oh. only time I met him. But uh, we had been in contact by email prior to that time as I was writing my book. He was always so generous on email, wasn't he? Yes, he was. He gave me all kinds of things.
0: Oh, good. Well, I want to I want to dig some more into that. So while well, you're drinking tea, I am drinking Jura scotch, uh, which uh, Malcolm actually brought a bottle when he came, Malcolm Geit when he came to visit Virginia and uh, graciously brought a bottle for me. And so oh, yeah. uh, that's what I'm drinking um, just to stay with the. Stay with the tradition. So (laughs) I think that we should uh, not only toast our Patreon supporters, but we should probably toast Walter. So cheers. Cheers. Yes, definitely. Well, thank you again. Um, I'd love for you to, for our listeners, if you just fill in a little bit of background for us. Um, I read some in your book about it, but tell our listeners kind of how you Mm -hmm. got involved. What your educational background is? And.
1: Yeah, I feel like uh, even though I'm, uh, I, let's just say, um, advanced in years, I feel like that I've uh, just only recently become a, a real C.S. Lewis guy, kind of late in life. Now that doesn't mean that I didn't want to be earlier. Uh, how far back you want me to go? My goodness! I mean, you know, I was <laughs> when I was a kid, I was uh, going to the library constantly. As soon as I learned how to read, I was reading avidly. I uh, read a lot of science fiction. I would go to the library with my bike and pile you know, books into my basket and go home and devour them all and go back to the mm-hmm. library after that. I think I probably wiped out everything in the library, <laughs> but uh, I never, ever came across anything by C.S. Lewis back then. Wow. And I don't even remember reading any Lewis until I got probably into college. Okay. And uh, my, my first degree was uh, nothing related to that. It was radio, TV, and film production. Mm-hmm. And my first job was at the Christian Broadcasting Network, okay, where I was the all-night uh, DJ uh, <laughs> playing Christian music and just talking and where I learned how to talk, let's put it that way again okay? to be <laughs> able to, to be able to communicate with people to some extent at least. Um, so that was my first thing, radio, TV and film, but then I, um, I became a um, headmaster of a private Christian school in Virginia. Thank and you. in the midst of all that, I uh, I had history as a minor, but I thought, what can I do with it? You know, I can only, all I can do is teach, and I don't ever want to do that. But here I am for the next 30-plus years, a history professor. So God has a sense of humor. I know that. <laughs> and so what I did with that eventually was because, because I had a history degree, because I had a degree of any kind, I became headmaster. They were looking for someone. And uh, after about five years there, I decided to go back and get my advanced degrees in history. And so uh, Old Dominion University in Norfolk was my master's and Mm -hmm. moved right on to the American University in Washington, D.C., where I uh, finished my doctorate in history. Did a few things like interning at the uh, history office of the Supreme Court, basically just being connected up there in D.C. as much as possible. And, uh, you know, with history and politics and all that, that became really kind of the focus of my studies and my teaching. But all the, all the while, I you know loved Lewis. Um, I'm, I'm trying to think back as to what I first read by Lewis. It might have been this, the Ransom Trilogy. It might have mm-hmm. been screw Tape Letters. It might have been, I don't know, something else. But um, Great Divorce, I have always loved The Great Divorce. But I always thought, what can I do with it? Mm-hmm. I'd love to do something with Lewis at some point. Um, so I said, what does an American historian do with C.S. Lewis? Because the guy never visited here, you know? And, mm-hmm. and uh, so I, I just kind of put it on the shelf for a while. But that is pretty much my background, 30 some plus years teaching history at the college level, four hmm. different colleges along the way. Actually, right now, I'm just an adjunct at Southeastern University, although I I know it was stated at first that I'm a history professor there. Well, I am, uh, but I'm just adjunct now. You could say almost no, oh, I don't know, semi-retired. But I'm also I've also been hired by All Saints Episcopal Church uh, here in Lakeland, Florida, to develop uh, adult courses and teach them. And a lot of those have been C.S. Lewis. So that's my background. That's kind of what I'm doing right now.
0: Tell me, um, I'm interested in your years as a a DJ for
1: CBN, and was that in Virginia Beach? (laughs) That was in uh, Portsmouth, actually, because they hadn't moved to Virginia Beach when I was there. Okay, that's how old I am. Oh my goodness! Uh, (laughs) So, what years were you a DJ? I was there. I graduated college in '73, and so I was a DJ from '73 to '76. Oh, man. So
0: you got to see the birth of all of that stuff. So my, yeah. my entree to Lewis as an adult was, uh, came from traveling with Phil Keggy. Oh, okay. Um, and so we were friends in Nashville. And uh, during a crisis in my faith, he lent me, uh, lent me uh, some Lewis books. Um, so that was, I mean, that was second chapter of Acts and Amy Grant's oh, first yeah. album. Oh, and, yeah. Oh, yeah. all those people, time.
1: I mean, uh, the real Christian music. <laughs> <laughs> isn't, that what, isn't that what old people say you know you, you go back in those years that's what was real right? oh my goodness <laughs> well and that
0: was um, the, those are the years I think it was 75 76 when, when Keggy recorded Love Broke Through and actually Don't. recorded that song before Keith Green or Randy Stonehill the authors <laughs> of it had um, and it was on that album that he recorded as The Ruin Falls Okay. Um, Lewis's marvelous poem to Joy Davidman. So, um, well, I wonder if there was some overlap. My uh, my wife's uh, grandfather, Stanley Ditchfield, was the vice president oh, at yeah, CNN. I, kn-
1: I knew Stan Ditchfield. Did you really? Yes. Oh I my did. goodness. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, wondered, I wondered. I wondered. I wondered about that because when I saw that your wife's uh, maiden name was Ditchfield. Mm-hmm. I said, uh, can there be that many of them? I'm just not sure. And <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, well, I, I didn't know Stanford. He was a vice president. I was a lowly um, you know, radio announcer uh, who just showed up there out of the blue. So I can't say that I knew him intimately, but we did go to the same church for a while. Oh, and so, fantastic. so I knew him uh, Steve Ditchfield, uh, Jackie. Yeah. Um, so, you know, and so I guess we have a connection in that sense. We absolutely do. In
0: fact, uh, yeah, uh, Stephen is my father-in-law and so okay. listeners always love, we have Kristen on a couple of times a year, especially for our Narnie episodes. And those are by far the mo- most popular. And so listeners already know that I married up. And so it's yeah. great to, uh, <laughs> great that you knew him. Um, and Auntie Jackie was a, was a big part of, of, of Kristen's, uh, early, uh, reading of Lewis and lots of other things. So yeah, that's Oh, wonderful fantastic. Reader. I can't, yeah. wait to, can't wait to tell her. And then she also got her, mm-hmm. I think she got her undergraduate at Southeastern. Oh, and really? So, yeah, she did. Um, her, her degrees are in theology. She has more degrees, I think, in theology than I do. In fact, I'm sure <laughs> of it. Um, and so, yeah, I think she did her undergrad at Southeastern and then her graduate work at Southwestern.
1: So. How long ago was that at Southeast? I don't. I only arrived in two thousand six.
0: Okay, it would have been. It would have been much before that. Yeah, or not much okay. before then. She's not. She's. She's. she's I, I. married a youthful bride. Um, okay, <laughs> but yeah. So I think that it was uh, during the, uh, during the nineties. So, so I'll double check with her though. Sure. Fantastic. So I loved your dedication of your book, where you dedicated mm-hmm. it to the person who. Who introduced you to Lewis? Although you couldn't remember uh, remember who it was, and so <laughs> yeah. it was. You said it was Ransom and Screw Tape really early on.
1: Yes, maybe and maybe Great divorce. I can't remember which came first. Yeah. Okay. That's been um
0: that's been fun for me and mere Christians just to see in the the collection I did of of folks um and who've been whose lives have been deeply changed by Lewis just to. To kind of trace where people's entry points were. Sure. So yeah. what did he do for you when you started reading him, especially as an adult? And then how long did it take you to get to Narnia?
1: Uh, I was definitely an adult before I got to Narnia, <laughs> uh, but, uh, but I read them with great delight. So that's how I, I knew right from the start. Yeah, these might be children's books in one sense but no they're more than children's books because you get a real taste of uh, who lewis is and who god is and it uh, just makes a you know a world of difference to be able to dig into those so you know uh, lewis how does he how did he affect me well just by the fact that all these years i wanted to do something <laughs> i had this urge to write something or say something about cs lewis or whatever but it took a long time for that to actually crystallize and so the book that came about here was, uh, like I say, a late development in my life.
0: Mm, mm. That's one of the things that I love about him is, and especially after having just come back from Oxford, is that he inspires so many people not only to read, but to write and yep. towards their own mm-hmm. creativity. I mean, he really, he really stirs things up, doesn't
1: he? Yes, he does. <laughs> in a good way.
0: Yeah, Absolutely. So this is maybe going to be a new standard question. We've been fighting, um, uh, fighting about this for a while since I joined the podcast. What's your favorite C.S. Lewis book, and
1: what do you think his best book was? Uh, do they have to be different? Let me think. No. Um, <laughs> okay. When people ask me that, I always come back to a, a duality. Two books that I can't decide which, is be- which are better. Great Divorce and That Hideous Strength. And, wow, uh, <laughs> I sink in flames. <laughs> My co-hosts are both, uh, both huge fans of The Great Divorce. Uh-huh. When people, when I tell them that hideous strength, some of them who have read it said, really? <laughs> how, could you, how could you really think that is one of the best? You know, uh, it's just so indebted to Charles Williams or something. I say, well, goodness gracious. As a history, political science type person, mm-hmm. how could I not like that hideous strength? And also the fact that it connects so you know with the abolition of man, mm-hmm. which is just so utterly fantastic, uh, It novelizes what he actually says in the abolition of man. Yeah. Uh, so those are the things that probably really attracted me right from the start.
0: Hmm.
1: That's great. Of course,
0: I'm a huge out of or a, a huge till we have faces fan. In fact, my co-hosts have a drinking game, and every time I bring that book up, they <laughs> have a drink. Um, so, but recently we were in. Um, in Oxford, and Michael Ward was there giving a plenary address at the at the foundation conference, and he, um, I don't know why I hadn't thought about this, he he began categorizing Lewis's books, you know, his paired books, like you just mm-hmm. mentioned, abolition and that hideous strength, yeah. as at books versus along books, okay, right. Abolition of Man is looking at the topics, and that hideous strength is looking along the topics. And so Meditation Bruce, in a tool shed, yes, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Bruce Edwards always loved that essay and and recommended it um, to everyone. Meditation in a tool shed, I think, is in God in the Dock. Um, just essential.
1: When it comes to Till, we have faces. I mean, the first time I read that, I thought, really. <laughs> is this is this really a C.S. Lewis book? Why did he mm-hmm. like it so much? And then I reread it years later and I said, okay, now I get it. Okay, so you were quicker on the uptake than I was as to why <laughs> Till We Have Faces is a good book.
0: 15, 16 years I've been working on, 16 years I've been working on Till We Have Faces. So okay. I don't know how quick on the uptake I am, but um, <laughs> Jerry Root has promised me Owen Barfield's decanter once I finish my book about Till oh, We Have Faces. Very good. So we'll see if we can... Let's we'll see if we can do this. I would love for you to talk a little bit about your book. And of course, listeners, you'll, you'll find in the show notes, a link on Amazon to Dr. Schneider's book, uh, America Discovers C.S. Lewis. How'd you come to write about that book? You've
1: talked a little bit about that, but um, tell us more about the genesis of all of that. You could say it was by accident, but uh, I believe that God was guiding things here. Uh, mm-hmm. In 2013, I read Alistair McGrath's biography. And I got to the end of it and and toward the end, he made a comment that uh, Lewis was always more accepted in America Mm -hmm. than he was in his native land. And that really got me thinking, okay, here I am, this American historian Mm -hmm. writing about American history. Is there a niche? Uh, Is there something I can do with Lewis and America? Mm -hmm. And um, in 2014, then I got a sabbatical from Southeastern. And I spent the entire year Uh, developing what, and I had all big plans. Uh, Another professor and I, we were going to write a book on uh, spiritual advisors to presidents. So I I got it all set up, and I went to six presidential libraries, and and, uh, and he he visited one that I didn't go to, and we were going to pool all this information. And I got a lot of good information for teaching, but I never got a book out of it, Mm. even though that's what we were (laughs) intending to do with that. But uh, obviously, one of the places I needed to do research, because of Billy Graham being, you know, Uh, obviously talk about spiritual advisors to presidents. How do you leave Billy Graham out of this? So I went went to Wheaton and I went to the Billy Graham Center and was doing research there. But in the back of my mind, I know what's just down the street and I can (laughs) I'm going to carve out some time here and I'm going to go to the Wade Center and I'm going to I'm going to research there. I'm going to see, is there a niche for Mm -hmm. C.S. Lewis and Americans? Mm -hmm. And uh, after a day or two of researching what uh, has been written about it and everything, I I came away saying, I think there's there's a possibility here Mm -hmm. and there's something I would like to do. And then actually, I mean, like I say, all all that year, my whole sabbatical year that I thought I was going to be doing, you know, writing a book on, you know, presidents, uh, Mm -hmm. spiritual advisors. I spent the entire year reading all of Lewis's letters to Americans. Hmm. Um, and everything else I could get my hands on that re- reread half the stuff that I had read previously, and uh just realizing I got something I think I think this can actually be turned into a book because there's nobody out there that has put it all together in one place, not only you know his interactions with americans um how american re- Americans readers received him, uh what he thought of them. Uh, the influence. uh, Why is he still so popular today? All all of that just kind of all came together with that. And the Wade Center was uh, very, very, you know, important in that whole development Mm -hmm. because uh, Laura Schmidt at the Wade Center was just uh, wonderful. Um, (laughs) (laughs) She's the one who gave me Walter Hooper's uh, email. And uh, then I got, you know, talking with him. And then I said, "I, I think you know I, I discovered that there were uh, in the in the um, records there back in nineteen eighty six and again in nineteen ninety six um people were asked what they you know what they thought of Lewis how he's impacted their lives and so forth and they had testimonies that you could read um I said well it's time to update this mm-hmm. and so i again I asked uh, Laura I said can we can you work with me on this um I'd like to do a survey of Americans mm-hmm. who you know are very into Lewis and ask more specific questions, not not just one open-ended question. I Mm -hmm. I wanna ask him things. And um, so she worked with me on that and it was a nice cooperative effort where she would pass along with me all the uh, information coming in uh, with the questions that were sent out. And so this survey was extremely important really for the research for the book. And uh, one of the chapters is just simply called the surveys. And, and instead of just saying, well, how did Lewis, you know, if I, I got more specific. Uh, when and how were you introduced to C.S. Lewis? Kind of like what you asked me. right? Okay. Which of his writings have had the greatest impact on your thinking or your spiritual development? And uh, then I wanted to know if they've been involved with any C.S. Lewis societies or organizations and uh, anything uh, and online and so forth, and have, what about the Shadowlands productions? You know, the BBC mm-hmm. one versus the uh, Hollywood one. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you What do you think about those? What about the Narnia productions? What do you think of those? And then an open question, uh, say whatever else you want to tell me about C.S. Lewis. Mm-hmm. And um, I tell you, it was 80-some uh, responses to that and to cull through all the comments. And by the way, people were not reticent. And mm-hmm. wanting to write and uh, tell me because I, you know, there was an obvious love for C.S. Lewis. And so they wanted to share what, what uh, was important to them about that. So mm. that that's how the book came about, finally pulling it all together. And by reading all those letters that uh, Lewis wrote to Americans, I could devote a chapter to that as well. And uh, his responses to some of his more regular correspondence. Um, and of course, I included various people like Walter Hooper and like, obviously, Joy And um, and uh, Chad Walsh, the first person to write a first American, actually the first person overall to write a book about Lewis, and he turned out to be an American. So, and even though Lewis never came to America, and even though he had maybe some prejudices about Americans to begin with, (laughs) uh, once he started interacting with them, and especially after World War II, when they started sending him hams and various other things uh, when rationing was going on in Britain. Uh, he began to really appreciate his American audience, um, so, and the fact that uh, many of them liked Paralandra like he did, so <laughs> that made a big difference for him, also. So it was just fun tracing, you know, everything Lewis said to the people, his responses, the and just how he interacted with them.
0: Mm. Well, I hope you'll be pleased to know that that's one of the required course texts on Lewis um, for the C.S. Lewis class at Northwind Seminary. Ah, okay. Um, and that's how I came <laughs> across the book. And I love how you... Um, years ago, I did a review of Patricia Batstone's book In Debt to C.S. Lewis, uh-huh. which was more kind of a study of of kind of some survey results. And I appreciated it for what it was, but I you know, hoped that, it, that at some point something more comprehensive... Um would kind of come along and and make use of some of the data that that she referred to and and this is the answer to that, and I love how you have. Not only Chad Walsh, but also Philip Reichen, Mm -hmm. um, McGrath's view, the Wheaton Seminars view, and then your own personal view about why Lewis made such a huge impact. And so I think that it's just a great uh, great service. And I really recommend because it's kind of a curious thing. I mean, when we go to Oxbridge, um, the folks there are always kind of curious. Why are you making such a big fuss? It was just, oh, I don't know, 10 years ago that they finally put a blue plaque on the kilns. Because there's so many writers um, in yeah. England, and they're a little curious. Tell me, uh, tell me a little bit. Having just having kind of looked so much at Lewis's reception in the states,
1: uh, what where is his standing in England? Well, I mean, I'm no expert on what his standing in England is, since I don't really live there. But mm-hmm. at the same time, I, I guess it took a while. I mean, you obviously are very aware, as most of the people listening are, that in t- what at 2013 they finally got his. Uh, a spot in Poets Corner at Westminster yep. Abbey. So maybe that's a belated kind of um, you know connection that they're, they're seeing. Um, just a little bit of a personal note on that. When I was there in 2017 and uh, we went to a Sunday service at Westminster Abbey. And of course, it would have been nice to sit in those beautiful chairs along the way, but we were off on the uh, on the side in the uh, folding chairs. Uh, but that turned out to be really good because when we got up to take communion, as we're walking down the aisle there one of the students with me kind of ahead of me kind of pointed down to the floor. Hmm. And I said, I wonder what he's pointing to. And I got to the end of the row and there was Lewis's commemorative stone right there. Oh, marvelous. And so I thought, okay, this was what where God wanted me to sit. Okay. I had no problem with that whatsoever. <laughs> okay.
0: You know, I had a, a similar instance, actually the day that they unveiled the stone and all the VIPs sat in the choir stalls and everything. And yeah. I just was one of the punters, one of the you know the, the average people who had gotten a ticket. So I just got as close as I could to the memorial Stone, but nobody had filled in the transept. And so I'm sitting right in front of Byron and then with <laughs> Lewis in front of me, and I sat right behind Douglas Gresham. And then oh, okay. all of the cameras were set up on the other end of the, the other side of the transept. So anybody filming the unveiling has got me in the background kind of poking my head, <laughs> trying to just try to see. I wasn't okay. trying to photobomb, but, <laughs> okay. um, and then it's, uh, I always try and take a cloth or something because the grooves are cut in and it gets a little messy. And so I try okay. to, <laughs> to clean it out at every visit. So, oh, that's a, a joy that you've been there. Um, tell me a little bit about um, when the popularity in the states. How did Lewis's books come to the states? How did that really kind of begin for Lewis?
1: Well, of course, the early works didn't get re- disseminated very well in the states, and the mm-hmm. and the one that really kind of launched him was the Screw Tape Letters. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the first Lewis book that actually got published in the states, about 1943 or so, and. Um, People love that. In fact, uh, you know, if I can quote Chad Walsh, if I can find this real quickly here. I, I love his comment on that. Uh, Finally, a book you wouldn't be ashamed to put on your coffee table. Oh, I just <laughs> saw that. Yeah, <laughs> I just saw that. It's, it's in my book somewhere. I'm sorry I don't have my book memorized yet. Okay, but. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you, so you are not a Lew- <laughs> you don't have Lewis's memory, huh? <laughs> yeah.
0: Okay. Oh, yeah. It's on page 175.
1: Uh, I thought it might be at the end where he's doing his uh, take on things there.
0: Americans found they now had, quote, a religious book, indeed, a specifically Christian book written with such sophistication and elegance that no one need, that one need not apologize for leaving it out on the coffee table. Yes. Okay. (laughs) That's great. That's good. Why and when do you think his popularity kind of grew here in the States? Of course, you know, he landed on Time Magazine and all the rest while he was alive. But um, in the years after his death, what do you think the upsurge was caused by and when?
1: Well, again, most people realize, uh, probably heard this, that uh, Lewis himself thought, "Eh, uh, after five years, nobody's going to remember who I am. Well, let's let's give credit where it's due. Let's give credit uh, to Walter Hooper. Mm-hmm. Keeping Lewis's uh, writings alive, pulling together all of the uh, those essays that were not pulled together prior to that time. Uh, let's give credit to Clyde Kilby. Mm-hmm. Um, wanting to um, you know collect everything from Lewis and bring it over to Wheaton and his connections with Tolkien as well. Um, in other words, there are Americans involved here <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> because we're, we still count Walter as an American, right? Oh, we, okay. do. <laughs> yeah, we do. And you know uh, there... what? I discovered he actually went to my seminary.
0: He went to Virginia uh, Theological Seminary. Okay. and was known there. I've got a picture of him um, in a flat top, and he was known as Coot. Cooper from <laughs> okay. North Carolina. So yeah, I think
1: anybody called Coot is definitely an American. Yeah, you don't do that in England, I guess. Okay. So those kind of people kept his name there, and then I think what happened is that um, Narnia just kind of grew and grew. If you if you if you look at it in the 1950s, you even have Joy commenting in a letter with, "Oh, well, it's you know, it's it's not something that's going to really you know make us rich or anything like that." But they're they're nice books um I'm, I'm definitely paraphrasing there mm-hmm. okay but uh she you know was not playing them up so much but um that that's one aspect of lewis that just kind of blossomed after that and of course mere christianity coming out as a, a book in 1952 and and as and me as a college student in 1969 through 1973 i can say you know i wanted some kind of a way to kind of buttress my faith and so forth i went to inter-varsity meetings. Mm-hmm. And in varsity, there was more Lewis there, mm-hmm. mere Christianity and so forth. And so he became kind of a, a mentor, I think, mm-hmm. to that particular age group during that time. And uh, even as uh, one of the, uh, the people that I quoted in, in my book said, you know, some, some people like John Stott were good, but Lewis had a different way of approaching it. And mm-hmm. uh, it was a it was a more, was a more winsome way. It's like, if you don't know anything, start with Lewis. And he can take you through it step by step as to why you should believe in this reality. And uh, so, you know, it's just just a combination of factors. I think also one thing that I credit David Downing for when I went to uh, the Wade Center and spoke about my book. And then we sat down the next day and did a podcast uh, about it. And we went through all my reasons why, you know, Lewis was so acceptable in America. He came up with one that I should have thought of. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that was because I mean here I am a American historian I teach American history constantly <laughs> it's a concept I knew about totally uh, I didn't incorporate it in the book I need to rewrite the entire ending um, he mentioned that the fact that we had no state church oh and that people were individually choosing to follow their faith mm-hmm. and you know that and as one of the other uh, people I think it was Alan Jacobs uh, possibly you said. You know, and uh, Americans have no stigma attached to Lewis uh, as an Anglican. Whereas in England, you know, there's all this what we might call baggage. in a lot of people's minds, they don't want that. Americans don't even know what an Anglican is. Mm. (laughs) And Besides, Lewis was just a mere Christian, right? He's somebody who's writing to anyone. It doesn't matter what denomination you belong to. Well, and right around the time
0: that the UK really begins throwing off Anglicanism as the kind of state church and state religion, you know, in the sixties and seventies, America begins throwing off the kind of atheism, and they're looking for, you know, reasons Mm -hmm. to believe, and especially with the Jesus movement having such a, you know,
1: such a powerful effect in the late sixties and especially. Now, see, i i i was really I was really connected with that. Okay, Mm -hmm. let's just say that I almost gave up college and decided to follow a moving Jesus movement troop. Wow. Okay, but but I <laughs> but I decided to stay the course and I finished my degree instead
0: okay. Well I think that we're all glad that you did but you know people people who did that sort of thing ended up in Chicago with resband and Jesus people USA and um the missionary society that serve the band servant had and in, in first in in Oregon and then later in Ohio and I think that that was that was really powerful and um, I don't know if you're familiar with Dr. Steve Beebe's recent book, C.S. Lewis and the Craft of Communication. I haven't read that one. No, not yet. Oh, well. I in your uh, explanation at the end, uh, where you talk about Lewis's writing style, yeah. and Steve identifies five elements of what made Lewis such a good communicator, and one was his transpositional nature. He could take these big concepts mm-hmm. and make them, you know, universal morality and guilt. Comes down to tripping me on the way up the bus aisle or giving me a
1: piece of of orange because I give you a bit of mine. And that's why students like Mere Christianity, Mm -hmm. because all the opening chapters are just so basic. Hey, common sense, take this step, this step, this step, Mm -hmm. lead you right into understanding it. Yeah. Well, and for
0: me, it was reading Mere Christianity and a number of Lewis's essays that literally taught me how to think and taught me how to read because I'd be going along and reading one of these prose works and, and, uh, and Lewis would say, thirdly, I'd be like, thirdly, well, where were one and two? And of course they're right where they need to be, but I had not known how to attend. And mm-hmm. Lewis, um, Lewis talked about it, Lewis helped me, helped me do that. And I think that, that he did uh, a similar thing for Americans as well, you know, and it was at a time when, out of the experiential and sometimes even emotional Jesus movement in the 70s, soon you're going to want more than just the experiential and the emotional. Um, Absolutely. But then yeah. when surprised by joy, you know, when, we, when Lewis talks about um, uh, his experience... As part of it, and and uh, I think that that may be uh, contributed as well. He came at a at a perfect time in our country, didn't he? Yeah,
1: yeah. And, and you know, it's not just the rational side of Lewis; it's the imaginative side. And even the rational side is is infused with the imaginative side. I mean, mere Christianity isn't just a lecture; it brings in all di- all kinds of illustrations of what he's trying to talk about, and you know, those things stay in your mind. So he's uh, he's not just a one one trick pony. Is that what they call it? Yeah. <laughs> his, his scope is is vast. His ability to write various kinds of things, but to to draw it all together, you know, and surprised by joy, he obviously talks about at one point he felt like he was living in two worlds. He had the intellectual side and he had the imaginative side, and the two never meet. Well, mm-hmm. it, they met, okay? And mm-hmm. from that point on, after his conversion, the two came together beautifully, I think. And that's, that's I think, is what attracts people also.
0: That's a great analysis of that. And I love David Downing's point, that American individuality. I've been doing some work recently. In fact, I just got back from some time in the Bodleian and have discovered at least three pages of autobiographical attempts, Um, So one is clearly a draft page of Surprised by Joy, but another is a page where he's just starting an uh, autobiography sometime three or four years before Surprised by Joy um, begins. Part of the current work that I'm doing is looking at how Lewis can't stop speaking in the first person and telling his story. And you can almost see this kind of autobiographical impulse or urge, what I called it a trajectory over his whole life where he's trying to tell the story and the story, as he says, is suffocatingly subjective. But I think that that appeals to Americans too, because, sure. you know, um, we are also, I think, suffocatingly subject- subjective. I think that's part of the, uh, the popularity in the excellent Ken Burns documentaries. Yeah. Um, we love to hear our own story, even as Americans, even though it's a relatively young story.
1: And Lewis tells good stories.
0: He does. He certainly does. So what do you think about his, How his, is his popularity, do you think, today um, in your experience?
1: To me, it's, um, it's, I hope it's growing. I mean, just by the fact that uh, Hollywood at least made an attempt at three movies. Mm-hmm. And Chronicles of Narnia never ceases to sell. Mm-hmm. Uh, mere Christianity doesn't cease to sell. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I see nothing stopping there, and and I guess one way to kind of gauge this is people like me keep writing books, and <laughs> and, and matter of fact, uh, when I tried you know to get a um, an agent to <laughs> try to find a publisher for this book, he said you know the problem now is um, we're glutted, the market is glutted with C.S. Lewis books, yes. and it's very difficult to find a publisher that's willing to take another risk on another C.S. Lewis book? Will there really be an audience out there? Well, well, we're, we're, we're going to just keep writing. I think it's going to be okay, and I think he's going to continue forward. Now, the one thing that gives me a little bit of a pause is when I uh, have a student, uh, I have students that uh, I'm currently teaching my C.S. Lewis course at Southeastern, and they started off to... Matter of fact, just two days ago, my first uh, class session and part of what I do at the beginning is, okay, tell me, what have you read by C.S. Lewis? And out of about 20 students there, I only had about two or three who had read anything beyond Lion, Witch, and Wardrobe or just one other book Uh by Lewis or parts of a book. And of course, a couple of them joked, I've read the first eight chapters of Surprise by Joy because that was the assignment for that. (laughs) So I just feel like one of my goals really is to introduce the current generation to a better understanding of Lewis. Primarily what they know him as is a name or Mm -hmm. they're familiar with Narnia. Mm -hmm. But they don't know the Ransom trilogy. They don't know a a lot about Lewis. So in my course, I give the wide scope of what Mm -hmm. Lewis has taught and what I'm sorry, what Lewis has written. So I give them a a sampling of different types of writing. Lewis.
0: Well, they're very fortunate, and I'm encouraged that they've read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe only. And that
1: (laughs) what they're not saying is that they've only read The Magician's Nephew. Okay, because because you're you like me in saying that it doesn't shouldn't be the first one. We are big originalists here. Okay, uh, all right (laughs) at uh, at at Pints with Jack. In fact, I just went
0: to um, I just went to Blackwell's in Oxford, the big bookshop. And you know those beautiful um, full color collector's editions of the Narnias? Have you seen Mm -hmm. those? I have them them in hardback. And so I got a hardback set of those for 60 pounds and immediately reordered them. Um, Somebody can make a small cottage industry out of just uh, doing color coordinated stickers where we changed the numbers on the books. Well,
1: I I'm grateful that how many people, you said that 20 students are taking your class. Yes. And, um, and then at my church on Tuesday evenings, I'm going to be doing the ransom trilogy. Okay. And the way we've got it, you don't, Just take it by being there. You can sign up and register and you can watch it on Zoom or you can, uh, if you're registered, you can watch it later at your own convenience. And so um, I'm looking forward to the first time I've had an opportunity to teach all three books. I do that hideous strength in the the, the Southeastern course, but uh, now I get to do all three of them and uh, I'm looking forward to that. Well,
0: and I'm sure that you'll give us that information. Send it to David, and we'll get it up in the in the show notes. Um, I usually recommend that in between *Paralandra* and that *Hideous Strength*, people read *A Place of the Lion*, oh. *The Place of the Lion*, just to get that Charles Williams <laughs> feeling. <I'm> currently working <laughs> okay. on a paper for Northwind Seminary comparing the two. It's an obvious comparison, but um, but I mm-hmm. think it holds. Have you heard those recordings from *That Hideous Strength*?
1: That yes. was Just recently released. Yeah, I uh, I downloaded that and then Paralandra also, and so I've yep. incorporated those into my course. Oh, so fantastic. they'll be here. They'll be hearing C.S. Lewis's voice. Okay. So yeah. yeah.
0: Well, shameless plug. If you ever need a guest uh, in either of those courses, I live close enough, <laughs> and uh, I'd be I'd be delighted to come out. I'm just so glad that you're uh, that you're in the diocese, um, and we're just starting to do some some Lewisy type events. Um, yeah. So, um, tell me a little bit more about your uh, about your next book uh, before we wrap up. Um, did, you did get a publisher. You
1: won the Wade Center Award. I don't have um, a publisher. No. Oh no. Okay. <laughs> but I got the Wade Center uh, Research Grant. Right. Uh, the very, research grant. Just very Fantastic. very pleased with that. Congratulations. Uh, apparently, they like the concept, uh-huh. which is um, Lewis's uh, view of history. Uh, mm-hmm. Lewis calls himself a historian, as well as other things. What mm-hmm. qualifies him to be to call himself that? Uh, what does he think about history? What are the pitfalls? What should Christians learn from history? What do they need to avoid?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, why is history important? I got a lot of things running through my mind on this. Mm-hmm. Okay, what, the the evils of historicism, um, mm-hmm. the historical imagination, uh, periodization. Uh, why doesn't he like the Renaissance? You know, I mean, there's just yes, there's just so yes, yes, much yes, yes. that you can put in there. And what oh. I like especially about this is that. Um, I started doing this research and started writing about it on my blog, on and off. And uh, one of my former students at Southeastern, who went, a, went on and got a master's at uh, University of Dallas, I believe it was, in uh, literature and philosophy, he said, my goodness, I'm researching the same thing. Can we work together on this?
0: Oh, fantastic. And so
1: what we've got here is a joint effort to uh, pull together uh, all of our thoughts about Lewis and history. I send him my stuff that I'm writing. He critiques it. He'll send me his stuff. I'll critique that. And both of our names will go on this if it ever sees the light of day. Uh. <laughs> and if you, any, if you have any idea who I should get as a publisher, please let me know. I'd appreciate yeah. that very much. All right. Absolutely. Well, and I think that Diana Glyer would be uh, grateful that you're
0: bandersnatching this book, um, <laughs> that you're working collaboratively. I think that that's certainly a wave of the future. I love, I have a whole section, three or four shelves in my bookcase um, called C.S. Lewis and, um, mm-hmm. and those are important books because those who, who, you know, who have a taste for communication or theology or whatever it is um, and, and fill in those gaps so that those of us who who just need those quotes and anything that's going to, to bring Lewis's brilliant inaugural lecture De Descriptione Temporum in front uh-huh. of people more, I think yeah. is a, a valid effort.
1: Um, well, that de- that definitely fits into my book.
0: All right. That's fantastic. Um, of course, you're going to want to pay attention to the Tolkien letters insofar at, well, Tolkien's letters talking about Lewis's criticism. I mean, that's kind of a, a, a deep tracks dive. Hmm. But, you know, there's that wonderful comment that Tolkien had languages and histories and geographies. And Walter says, you know, Jackie had to have a story. That story, um, Lord of the Rings was written to keep him quiet. <laughs> right. And yeah. so maybe you'll find something in Tolkien's letters about his histories and about Lewis kind of pushing him to make more narrative out of that.
1: I knew Lewis did push him, but uh, yeah, thank you for that suggestion. Yeah. Um, Kent State,
0: I know, is still doing some good stuff. Um, Kent State University Press mm-hmm. um, is doing some good stuff. And um, yeah, it's maybe sometime offline. We can we can brainstorm and chat. Sure thing. Sure thing. So, okay. Good. Well, I uh, hear the ringing of the bell, the last call bell here in the pub. It's really official, huh? Okay, <laughs> Alan, it's just been it's been a joy to have you have you along, and please tell our listeners where we can go to find out more about you and pick up a copy of America Discovers C.S. Lewis?
1: Well, if you want to know something about me, please go to my blog, PonderingPrinciples.com. Okay. It's not daily anymore because I decided I don't know enough for daily. I will, <laughs> <laughs> But a lot of the blog has become C.S. Lewis-centered. Okay? And so uh, people might, might appreciate that. You can get it, the book, America Discovers C.S. Lewis, on Amazon. That's the best place to go. Perfect. Well, we have both
0: of those links, and we'll include those in the show notes and hopefully we'll, uh, we'll drive some, some listeners to, to, to pick that up. So Okay. Well, thank you once again for spending this hour with us. Well, thank you. Um, and thank of- you all for spending the hour with us. We especially want to thank our Patreon supporters, uh, supporters, especially our top tier supporters. Those include Erica and Marvin, Joelle, Angela, Deborah number one, Deborah number two, mm-hmm. Amanda, Thomas, uh, Narnia Mouse, Bill and Joanna, Snort and Bud, Shane, John, Kevin and Brian, Kay and Paul, Kimberly, Gillis, Gary, Stephen, Matt and Kelly, Chris and John, James, Kate and Peter, David and Rowdy. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please share it with with a friend. Our next episode is our season finale, when we'll be looking back on season five, talking about season six. And season six, incidentally, we'll be looking at Out of the Silent Planet. So we may be talking with you again and uh, we'll be reading some reviews and messages from our mailbag. Please join us then when we'll be going further up
1: and further in, of course. Cheers and cheers to you.